Hello, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And uh, David, uh, welcome, and I understand you have a special guest in the studio today. Thanks, Tom. I have a friend of mine, Mel Belsky, who I've known for probably 15 years now. I don't remember exactly how we got connected originally, but I knew him when he was the medical director of Safeway Foods. He's a rehab physician. He's been in practice for many years. He set up some rehab programs at his hospital, really revolutionized spine care around spine. He set up what's called a prehab process where people were optimized for surgery. But he has a huge experience, great perspective in non-operative spine care, workers' comp disability, dealing with surgeons, physicians, the medical system. And we're going to basically touch on a very small fraction of his knowledge today, but we're going to focus on what's called adverse childhood experiences called the ACE score. And I'll let Mel introduce the whole topic. He has a deep depth of understanding of this. He's also watched it in practice, how it affects his clients and patients' outcomes. But I'm very excited to have Mel on the show. Welcome, Mel. Well, just give me, um, you and I, did you and I retire within six months of each other? Is that right? We've been at this for a while. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, that's true. And he's in Walnut Creek. I'm in Oakland, not too far from him. And we talk about chronic pain disability all the time. And we're also very focused on trying to find solutions. But can you explain to the audience about what's called ACE scores, what it represents and how it all started? Well, I'll, I'll give you as brief a history as I can. While I was at uh, Safeway, which was a, a self-insured and self-administered uh, uh, company with regard to work injuries, um, it became clear very quickly that they had a major problem. And the problem was that they had a, a subset of their injured workers who had experienced uh, delayed recovery. In other words, they weren't recovering in, in ways uh, and in time frames that were expected and typical and described in the literature. And they were, they, as a consequence, they were consuming a lot of resources and were not, uh, did not have the best outcomes. And this was separate from what the diagnosis, the working diagnosis. In other words, whether it was a minor muscular skeletal injury or a severe injury requiring surgery or, or even amputation, the, the, the outcomes in a subgroup of, of people were very distorted and very protracted and they didn't understand why that was uh, they always understood that if someone had a spinal cord injury of course that was a catastrophic clinically catastrophic situation and would be costly but they did not understand why a person with a minor back injury would be off work for six months to a year and never really fully recover so I introduced to them the idea that many of their employees, the subpopulation of 
of, of employees probably ex experienced this this because they suffered from early trial childhood trauma and the consequences of that which are amazingly complicated and, and potentially very severe in the process of doing my my uh uh, spade work on this, I uh, got in contact with Dr. Vincent Felitti, who is a preventative medicine doctor in uh, uh, in San Diego, Kaiser. And uh, he's since retired, but um, he did a lot, he did a study that was very uh, important and revolutionary really and that it, he demonstrated very clearly that people with adverse childhood experience and he developed a questionnaire and a rating system um, and the more adverse childhood experience someone had the less likely they were going to have good medical outcomes no matter what the diagnosis no matter what the situation and uh, you know, no matter how they were treated, even. So um, I started a program at, at, at Safeway, an early intervention program, in order to identify those people who had significant adverse childhood experience, and then provide them with additional services that would help them learn how to cope and develop increased resilience so that they could in fact get back to work at least in that environment get back to work that's what we were really focused on but this problem exists throughout our population and across socioeconomic categories it's a, just a human problem could you go back a little bit and list i think there i know one study had eight experiences and another one list 10 i never quite understood <clears throat> through that transition, but could you list some of the adverse childhood experiences that they used for the research study? Well, yeah, I can talk to you about those. Um, the original ACE questionnaire basically had 10 questions, and they would uh, the questions included things like, did a parent or other adult in the household often act in a way that made you afraid and that, uh, that you might be phys physically hurt, swear at you, humiliate you, that a parent or adult physically accost you uh, and, and hit you with mark that, that left marks, that an adult uh, or, uh, or someone at least five years older than you uh, approach you in a sexual way or even uh, have oral, anal, or vaginal sex, um, and there, there, there are another six questions, but there are, I can go through them if you'd like. Well, I think, I think it's worth mentioning, because I think it, it's an interesting list, because if I remember right, only 30% of people in America have an A score of zero, and over 36%... I think 38%, yeah, something like that, maybe a third. And then over 30% had an A score of three or more, and with an A score of three or more, the... Um, the consequences, the physical consequences are pretty extreme, as we'll point out They're a little severe. bit later. Yes. They're severe. And it's not subtle. I think we'll go explain a little bit why later why this is true. 
it also has nothing to do, literally to do with psychology as much as the reactivity of the nervous system to the environment. And if you're programmed really in a harsh way to the environment, those reactions continue throughout your lifetime. But if you list a couple more, that would be great. Sure. Uh, um, did, did anyone in your family ever express the idea that you were special and did they, you ever felt supported by family members? In, in some some other way, did, did people look out for each other within the family? Um, did you ever, were you ever neglected in the sense that you did not have enough to eat? You had to wear dirty clothes. Did anyone ever protect you? Did your parents, uh, were, were they drunk or high and, and neglected you? Were you ever separated or were your parents ever separated or divorced? Um, was your mother or stepmother often pushed or grabbed or uh, abused physically by uh, your father and vice versa? Um, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Was a household member mentally ill? Did any of your family members go to prison? Right. So those are the 10 basic categories. But the truth is that there are literally hundreds of kinds of events that can't, that are described as uh, adverse childhood experiences. Right. So, so if you grew up in a war zone or you ever saw someone murdered, or, you know, that kind of thing, those, those, that counts. Right. What also surprised me about this study is that I think an, an incredible impact on people's quality of life, that last, I think, indefinitely, is being bullied at school. And bullying was not one of the questions, but I think the data is really clear, and this is another discussion on another day, but bullying has a tremendous adverse impact on patient care and outcomes. It's, it's a horrible problem. But I think, in my mind, the essence of the A scores is, did you feel safe as a child or not? Because as parents, I feel like our, our main responsibility, if not our only responsibility for our kids, is to provide a place where they feel safe and grounded. If you don't feel safe or grounded, then you're always on high alert for danger. And once your brain's programmed in that way as a child, then those patterns are there the rest of your life. And that danger outlook is a filter that everything gets filtered through safe or dangerous and things like enjoying life and enjoying rich relationships with people and friends is really put to the background because the main thing you're programmed to do is simply to survive. I looked, I took my own, my own A score and without going into detail, I think my A score was five. It was a pretty brutal household. I had a psychotic mother. It was nasty and I was hypervigilant and on fire and I got sick, got really sick. I almost didn't make it through. I got very lucky and I feel very, very fortunate I can share some of these tools with, with, my, uh, with my patients and different people around me. Um, Mel, how did you happen to come, we weren't trained this way, right? I mean, I, in medical school, residency fellowship, I never heard of this stuff. And I'm assuming you didn't either, but somewhere in your- Actually, I did, David. Oh, you did? Well, uh, let me explain it this way. Um, as a physiatrist, um, I was focused on not musculoskeletal stuff, but on the rehabilitation of 
acutely disabled people, people okay. with spinal cords, head stroke injuries, etc., head injuries. And I, I noticed very early on that if I, I, I could have two different pe- people with the very same uh, insult, and one would do spectacularly well, and one would take years and years and sometimes more years to, to achieve just basic functional gains. And I never understood why that was until I started to, to, look, to talk to them in detail. Okay. About, about things and it was clear that their uh, childhoods w- were and they didn't trust anyone and they um, I'm sorry that the childhood you cut out for a second your childhoods were what the, the childhoods were the, their childhoods were the problems they okay were, they, they were uh, they were uh, I, a huge obstacle over which they rarely over, you know, overcame. They, they, they were just bound down by all this stuff from early childhood. And, um, as a consequence of that, they sometimes had spouses and and others who were not very supportive. And so, you know, it got, there's lots of layers to this, but essentially with the same, insult one group would do well and one group wouldn't and it was all about early childhood trauma right they did not have any resilience did you did you come across this before or after that san diego kaiser study on ace events oh long before oh before okay long before when i first started in uh rehab medicine okay it took me a while to realize that there was a body of literature that discussed all this in great detail and explained, as you've already mentioned, how the nervous system responds and how one becomes hypervigilant and always uh, on alert and their entire neurophysiological uh, system uh, is uh, on maximum gain. And as a consequence, their organs, multiple organs, uh, you know, are affected. They, they age prematurely, blah, 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 blah. And there are also a lot of compensatory things that people do. They drink. They, they use a lot of drugs. They, a lot of these folks turn to crime. Virtually everybody in prison has a pretty high A score. Okay. You know, Interesting. Um, can you explain, you, before the podcast, we talked a little bit about this weight loss situation where with women, people had, had lost a lot of weight successfully and conceivably, rationally, should have felt good about it, but yet they, they quit the program, get discouraged and put the weight right back on again. And you had some insights into that. Well, yeah, it, tur- it turned out when Vincent looked at this, he didn't understand why people would just, after losing 100 pounds, um, basically quit the program right and then when he looked into it and explored the backgrounds of these folks he realized that the fat was a in a way a protective or insulating uh cover for them and they they 
they went from being totally sexually unattractive to being more attractive and they were very uncomfortable with being more attractive so they often just returned to their prior behaviors and gained the weight back and as far as the other severe i want to say two things at once here and make two different points this is not a psychological problem to me this is a link to past experiences when current experiences create a similar response, I'm sorry, when you're exposed to similar circumstances, you get the same chemical response. And then what happens, you're in a sustained chemical assault. And we know that chronic stress, which is manifested by sustained levels of adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, and endorphins, and other stress chemicals, when your body's under sustained attack, you get sick. Could you, which also, by the way, includes doubling the conduction of the nerves, so you actually feel pain more. There's over 30 physical symptoms that are created from a sustained chemical assault on your body. Could you cite some of the, some of the um, data talking about the consequences of adverse childhood experiences, mortality rate, et cetera? What, what data are you referring to? Well, just, you know, the higher instance of, you know, people die, I'm sorry, people live shorter, they die earlier. Do yes. You know, and they die actually quite a bit earlier, right? Yes. And there's a higher suicide rate? Uh, that's true. Depression, anxiety are up? Yes. Yeah, so, so it's not true that it, there, there are no psychological consequences, but those psychological consequences are sort of the residua of the hypervigilant state. Right. And not, it's not directly causing anxiety and depression, I don't think, at least not, I'm not convinced of that. But, but you, you, you want, but again, I think the point I'm trying to make is that your body's chemistry is off. Completely. And, and these are not imaginary symptoms. No, they're real or they're destructive. And pe people dying, for example, is not psychological. I mean, that's not imaginary. People die. They die. Yeah. With, well, uh, and other things that happen, you know, when I first looked at this and I, I realized that a lot of, there was a lot of alcoholism and illicit drug use, you know, I thought that that would made, made a lot of sense. You know, if people are miserable and they're trying to hide and, and, and dull their feelings, you know, that made some sense to me. But then as I looked into it more deeply, it was clear that there were lots of other problems that they had that folks had that were basically the consequence of the of the uh, the uh, hormones and, and and things that you've already described. So th those those hormones affect the virtually every organ in the body. Right. So so people have increased incidences of heart disease, lung disease, even if they're not a smoker. Right. They have increased lung disease. They have increased liver disease, even if they're not drinking, because of, of, of these chemicals basically prematurely aging right. uh, organs. Right. And so it, it's just a dreadful, dreadful uh, situation for these folks. 
Right. And my point being is something I've learned maybe the last six months. I realized at some tipping point that you have these unconscious survival reactions full of stress chemicals, that unconscious survival reactions or the unconscious brain is about a million times stronger than the conscious brain. That's why, although talk therapy is helpful, the unconscious survival response is, is been documented to be at least a million times stronger than the conscious brain. That's why it's not primarily psychological. What you have to do to actually start solving the problem is use techniques and tools to diminish the body's stress chemicals. And that- I would just add to that, David, that it's important for people to understand that there is a dose response here. Right. That, that the, the, the more adverse childhood experience people have, the more likely they're going to have major problems. And I, frankly, I'm amazed that, uh, that you had a, a score of, of, of over five and have, and have been as successful in life as you have. That, that's a rarity. Well, what happened, but I think, I'm not sure, that's an interesting conversation about just professionals in general, specifically physicians. But I mean, for me, the way I escaped my past is I became successful. In other words, I became obsessively successful and I pride myself on this adrenaline drive. And I tell people now that adrenaline drive that takes you to the top takes you right down the other side. But I honestly went from being an incredibly fearless surgeon to having panic attacks within 24 hours. And I didn't have anxiety. I didn't feel anxiety. My attitude was bring it on. But I was also having a ring in my ears, migraine headaches. My feet were burning. These skin rashes were popping up. My stomach was a mess. I couldn't sleep. I would jump into major depression. And this is all happening, but I didn't feel anxiety. And I was able to suppress it. And I think what got me in trouble, in fact, I know it got me in deep trouble, was people don't like to feel anxious or angry. And I just stuffed it. I was cool. I mean, I put on a, an identity of being really cool under pressure, being cool in general. And it worked for a long time, got me to where I got to. Sure. But, but the term people talk about now is the word dissociating. I remember distinctly at age 15, looking at this mess of my life. I didn't really understand how deeply it was affecting me. I literally, metaphorically, just shut the door on that and started over. And so I became smart. I tried my being athletic. I tried being personable, which I think many people say I may have failed at, but whatever. But... <laughs> But in general, I mean, you, you develop this identity that covers up this past, but at the deepest level, I was dissociating and my body didn't believe it. Even though intellectually, mentally, I was stuffing it. Again, that unconscious survival response won out eventually. That's why when I, caught the, when I read the study from Floody where these women had lost the weight, should have been happy and excited about it, they put the weight back on I also found out personally that the church dependence anxiety was success because when you're used to chaos, that's your familiar pattern. My thing was being in chaos, solving the problem and my family struggles that I was a hero. Then I moved on when things were quiet or quote successful or I was successful. I became incredibly anxious because I didn't know when the shoe was going to drop again. Who knows when the chaos is going to break out again. It turns out I had actually more anxiety with success than I did failure. And again, a lot of, I look back through my life in lots of small ways, um, some self-sabotage patterns came up. But yeah, when I read this ACE study, God, it must have been 2000 or so, I was just blown away. I'm impressed you figured this out so early on in your career because in medical school, you weren't initially 
in even in early residency, you weren't necessarily taught about this whole idea of stress being a factor, correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, the uh, uh, we were introduced to um, the work of uh, what's his name, uh, German. Uh, who did a lot of work on the adrenal gland and I mean in the 1930s and stuff like that. But it was right. it, it was it was introduced as just another uh, point of interest in, in in physiology. It wasn't introduced as a source of potential disaster. Right. You know, and, and we never got into the kind of things that we're talking about now. Right. It, it never happened. And I've talked to, I've talked to lots of medical students over the years, uh, in the last 10 years anyway, since I've been focused on this. And um, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. And that, yet these are the very people, these patients are the very people that are the ones that you don't, people don't want to see right you know, they, you know they're on their schedule right but they're, but they're terrified of seeing them because it's so hard without an understanding of all this right to help them right you know? well the data shows there's a paper out of boston that shows only 20 percent of physicians are comfortable treating chronic pain and less than one percent enjoy doing it i've given lectures all over the country on enjoying the man management of chronic pain but I was like everybody else. I mean, I would I dreaded it. I didn't know what to do. But for any of us in any field, if you don't understand how to treat the problem, and you get exposed to it repeatedly, you just feel well, helpless and frustrated. Yeah, if you don't understand the problem to begin with, right? Let alone know how to treat it. But right. if you don't understand what it is you're treating, uh, you're, you're, whatever you do is bound to failure. Right. You know? Well, I'd like to conclude this part of the podcast by saying thank you. This was extremely helpful. And in the next session, we're going to talk about the impact of these adverse childhood experiences in real life. In other words, in the disability world, how it affects outcomes, um, the medical profession's input or lack thereof of why we keep floundering in this situation. I just want to make a one-sentence rant. Then when you look at this carefully, this is... I mean, medical doctors are smart. I mean, the amount of learning we go through about the human body is unbelievable. I mean, the amount of material we digest every day about the human body is unbelievable. But to me, this is high school science class. And your body's full of stress chemicals. We all know how your heart races, it pounds, you sweat, you breathe quickly. We all know the fight or flight or freeze response. That was high school science. And when it's sustained, when it's sustained it, does, it makes sense that it's like driving your car down the freeway in second gear. It's going to break down, and it does. And the data is really deep in hundreds, maybe thousands of research papers documenting that chronic stress, i.e. adverse body chemistry, causes physical disease. This is not a subtle link. No, it's highly, it's highly destructive. Right. And then what I'd like, like to talk about in the next session why you think that's evolved this way, because this is clear back even pre-medical type high school knowledge. But anyway, but Mel, thank you very much. Your perspective is oh, extraordinarily helpful, and uh, I appreciate your input very, very much. My pleasure. Take care. You too.
Thank you, David and Mel, for this very uh, insightful podcast. And I want to uh, remind our listeners that we'll be back again next week with another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.